all the children clear out. And we'll let you gain your mental capacity there. Because what I'm about to say to you may, may be a surprise. I think many times, I know we as human beings are a creature of habit. We tend to do the same things all the time. Any of you like me, when you go to a restaurant, you eat the same food every time? Unless you're my wife. She tries different things. I find myself in that category, and I, I figure I'm not unlike a lot of other people in society. There are a few other people that, that do it right, I guess. And I think that that life is like that, and that we tend to do the same thing every day. One of the comedians, which I won't mention, who doesn't have a good name anymore, so we'll we'll pass that pass on that at this time, but he said he had a routine. We we do the same thing every day, meaning his children and his family and their home. Are you like that? Find yourself doing the same thing all the time, every day? Never really questioning it. You just do it. I think because we are like that and we happen to be believers or Christians, we tend to, as believers, also do the same thing every day. We get up. We live our lives. We don't think much about it. And we get to work. We do our jobs. We come home. We do the same thing. We go to bed. We get up. And we do it again. And we don't think for a moment uh, on a daily basis, man, this sure is boring. Because we don't want to admit that. That's who we are. And so consequently at times, uh, Christianity can be, and I'm sure has been, and maybe you think this way in your own heart, you just don't want to tell anybody, can, can appear to be at times rather fickle. Because we as believers do the same thing typically every day. And that's why to me that the book of Ecclesiastes, which you don't hear a lot of sermons on, is very refreshing when I get out of my daily routine and my daily mindset of doing as a believer and living my life as a believer the same every day. And when I look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it wakes me up and helps me realize that this really is what life is all about. And then trying to balance that out with God's Word and what He says about life and how it should be lived and what our motives should be when it comes to being a Christian. And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to start in chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 13 here in a moment. We're going to read the first 11 verses. And then next week we're going to end, end the short two-week series in chapter 12. And we'll speak about that in just a moment. 
But if you would turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, I would guess um, not many of us have read this book. Maybe you have recently. I haven't until I began to prepare for this, this message today. But rather eye-opening, to say the least. But it's right after the book of Proverbs, if you have a, a challenge finding it. But Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets and hastening to its place it rises there again. Blowing toward the south then turning toward the north the wind continues swirling along and on its circular courses the wind turns. All the rivers flow into the sea yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow there, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, it is new, which were before us. Well, already, I missed a, a, a line there. Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. The book, I think, of Ecclesiastes, the entire book, gives us a glimpse into the life of, of an individual who had the means really to express happiness and joy and all the things in life that would cause a person to look at that individual and say, you know, that individual is a happy, happy person. That person seems to have it all together. But eventually the writer of this book, and some have suggested because of verse 1 that it is Solomon, the son of King David, and that's fine. And then others have suggested that it, that it is someone else because after the very first verse, he's never really referenced again as that, but he is called the preacher. There may very well be a reason for that as we go through but eventually, we'll call him the preacher because that's what they call him. And if I slip up and say Solomon, that's okay, right? Because it very well could be. But eventually, the preacher comes to an understanding of, of the vanity of, of all things earthly as a result of his own experience. He says in verse 12, I, the preacher, in chapter 1, verse 12, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. There's no 
higher position in life then. It'd be equal to saying I was the President of the United States. Some consider the greatest country in the world, the greatest free country in the world. And so the preacher says, I've been king. So it's almost like he says, if, if, if anybody will listen, please, because I've been there, I've done that, I, I have status. So he almost wants us to know who he is. And then he, he says something's very interesting. In verse 13 he said, this is something that I did in my life. I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all the things that have been done under heaven. He says, at the very center of the core of my being, you know, a lot of times when we read, particularly in the Old Testament, the word heart, we, we, we may not get a full understanding of what the writer is trying to say here. The very core of his being, the very deepest part of his soul, he says, I've considered this. I've, I've sought after this. This is something that's been on my mind. And as you'll share later, things that I've experienced. And so he goes on to say in verse 13, I've come to the conclusion after I've done all these things, considered all these things, and thought through all these things, and experienced all these things, it's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes see humor in Scripture. And this has two sides to it. We know that God does not afflict His people intentionally with anything. That anything that I've been afflicted with is a result of my own sin. It's a result of me going my own way, doing my own thing. And see, we don't want for a moment to think that God does not love His people. Amen? He loves His people. And that is from the beginning of the Scriptures to the end of the Scriptures. It's a theme that runs throughout that God loves His people. But yet, at the same time, the humorous side to me is that after trying all of these things, the preacher comes to a conclusion, it is a grievous task. The experiences that I've had in life are not fun. And yet we as believers tend to fall into the same category, do we not, as the preacher himself? In doing the same things in life, realizing from time to time that they don't add up. And they are a chore. And they are difficult. And we would say with the preacher, grievous. I mean, they cause a lot of problems. But yet we do the same thing every day. He says in verse 14, he says, and, and I like this because this is sort of the type of person I am. I, he, he says, I've, I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and I've come to this understanding. All is vanity and striving after wind. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pessimistic view on life, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you read that, it, you, you almost want to throw in the towel. I think um, this Christianity stuff, we're pretty cool with, right? The, pro the problem we have and the struggle we have is from birth to death. You know, this prior to being born, we're okay with. And after we die, we're all right with that. It's just that in-between stuff that's a challenge, isn't it? It's that being born and then dying section of life that seems to be a struggle. 
And for many of us, uh, we've had a few years and decades, and for some of you, you have not gotten there yet, but it is, if you're honest about it, it's a challenge. And it can be very pessimistic if you look at it that way. And I think, I think the preacher is getting to a point here, is that a lot of times we as Christians don't want to look at, look at life this way as a Christian. We want to paint everything and make everything okay. Guess what? Everything is not okay. This world is not okay. Our lives are not okay. And that's why he's going to tell us in chapter 12 of next week, it takes someone to balance all that out. There must be an equalizer in all of this. And here's the, here's the, the issue I think that we have a lot of times. We know that. I think many times knowing the solution to an issue is part of the problem that we struggle with. It's like watching a football game and you already know who won. Well, there's not a lot of joy in that, is there? If you're a sports fan or watching a movie and somebody already told you how it ends. And so you watch that movie sort of ho-hum. And it's easy to live our lives like that as believers, sort of ho-hum, because we already know what the outcome is going to be, don't we? And so it's easy sometimes to take it for granted. And we need sometimes the preacher to wake us up here in Ecclesiastes and say, hold on guys, if you have a positive view on life and because you know the ending of all this, you want to spin everything positive, be careful. Because life is not like this. And I like what he says in verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be cannot be counted. In other words, something in your life that, that has been allowed to come into your life just because of life. We can put a positive spin on it and say, well, you know, that's just the Lord working. Is it? Could be. Or a tragedy happens and we try to spin it because we already know the outcome. We're believers and we know how this is all going to end. And so we try to put a positive spin on it instead of looking at it and saying, you know, that can't be straightened out. This week, a, a very good childhood friend of mine died. And when I was down to see him three weeks ago, we sat and we talked and he knew he was dying and and we came to the conclusion that life stinks. You don't like that. I don't either. But that's where, that's where the preacher, that's where he comes. That's the conclusion that he draws. You know, there are crooked things in life, in all of our lives as believers, that can never be straightened out. And that childhood friend of mine or yours or that family member that has died, that will never be corrected. It's permanent. And then, of course, just things in life. There are losses in life. He says, you know, you can't count them because it's not possible. They're not there. And yet we try to take it religiously as Christians and we try to paint it sort of a different color and it is what it is. And I would love to meet the guy that coined that phrase. I use it too much, I guess. And maybe you do too, but that's true, isn't it? 
And that's sort of the, the intro that he's driving at here when he's presenting this to us, that that's life. And I sort of think that's refreshing. And when, path, when the path in life seems difficult, guess what? It is. When you, when you come out on the short end of the stick, that's life. And man can do all the right things, but it seems like, doesn't it, that in the end, chance cancels it out. Man, I'm already depressed. I think that's reality. I think that's reality. Thank God that we know how all this ends. Thank God that we know not only how it began and how it ends, but even though we don't know all the details in our life, we know that there is a great equalizer and He has things in control. Well, He says in verse, 15, verse 16, I said to myself, and if you talk to yourself, this is a great verse. You, 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 can, you can put this on your mirror. You, know, you can just in bold letters. It, that's okay. But you can see the preacher not only thinking in his mind, but reasoning deep in his soul and mind. All of these things he's going to talk about in the book of Ecclesiastes. I wish we had the time to, to go verse by verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. Phenomenal book on what life is really all about. He says, I've considered this. This is not a fickle thing for me. It's not something that just, I woke up one day and it hit me and I want to share it with you. I've seriously thought about this and I've experienced it. And this is what he said. Behold, I've magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were ever over Jerusalem before me. My mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And he says this, you know, after he shed some light on this, he, he says in verse 17, and I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. If this is Solomon, and it very well could be, there's probably never a wiser man on the face of the earth. Scripture alludes to that many times and it suggests that. If that is the case, here's a man who's saying, if anybody knows what wisdom and knowledge is all about, it's me. I've checked it out. I've thought it through. I've experienced it all. And I want to talk to you about it. Do you mind? Preacher, The preacher wants to talk to you about it here. He says, I've, I've, come, I've come to a, an understanding here. He says, when, when I deliberately went searching about what this was all about, I found out that it was all vain. And he says in verse 17, and I realized that this also is striving after wind. Now he's already used that phrase once. But after he says in verse 13, he sought and explored by wisdom now he seeks to under, understand this wisdom through experiencing things. And that's what the book sets out to accomplish in the next chapters. And that's why I wish we had time. Because the things that Solomon experienced through his vast knowledge and wisdom, he comes to the very conclusion that it's all in vain. It's all empty. As, as she'll share later, it all zeroes out. When you put it on the side of life's ledger, it doesn't amount to anything. 
And yet we'll live our lives and we'll try the things that Solomon tried. But here's a wise man who has great knowledge. He's saying, guys, I can tell you I've experienced it all. It's not worth it. Doesn't doesn't accomplish anything for me as a believer. In much wisdom, he's going to say in verse 18, is much grief. Because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Can you see that? And in society, we want what? The doctor wants more knowledge. Has anybody, um, or is anybody on my side? Let's see here. Do you think we're closer to curing cancer than we were 20 years ago? No, I mean, I don't, I don't want the correct answer. I want your answer, what you think. Do you think we are? I mean, that's the correct answer. <laughs> what I would say is, yeah, we are. I mean, we're more educated today, are we not? We have more wisdom. We have the greatest doctors in the world. And guess what's going to happen? After those doctors die off, that's what he said earlier, they're going to be what? More doctors that take their place. And they're going to be more intelligent. And they're going to have more knowledge. And they're going to have more machines and technology and things at their disposal to cure these diseases. And Solomon says it's just going, going to keep going. And guess what? After you die, guess what's going to happen? Someone is going to take your slot in life. And guess what's going to happen to them? They're going to experience the same thing you experience. And when they die, guess what? And you say, oh man, this, sounds, this is getting worse. It's life. I mean, this is the way life really is. And that's what the preacher's trying to get across. And increasing knowledge results in increasing grief and pain. That's what he says. And here's the issue, I think, with most of us as believers. If we would admit this in our own lives and the world that we live in, we would have to say, I think you're right. I think you're right. And when we come to that conclusion that the preacher comes to, then I think we can begin to see life balance out a little bit with the equalizer involved, and that's God Himself. And so He says, with increasing knowledge comes increasing pain. And after the mind has been stimulated for a while, as far as the preacher is concerned, it's it's now time for the body to take pleasure in life. And so he tries a lot of things. And in chapter 2, verse 1, personal pleasure um, is something he wants to share. He said, I said to myself, come now, I will, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, I came to the conclusion that all these things in life that I thought were pleasure and I thought would bring me to a point where I needed to be in my Christian life was vanity too. And all this wisdom and knowledge that I had that brought me to this place and I saw it as vanity, now all this pleasure, things in life that I want to enjoy. It's all vanity. You know, I read through this uh, passage and didn't read the entire book. And by the way, it'd be a great book for all of us to read it all. And when I came to the end of it all, 
I realize that if that's what I'm looking for to fulfill who I am, it's all empty. It's all vain. Personal pleasure included. Hollow journey, he would say. And in verse 2, he raises a conclusion and a question. He says, I said of laughter, and this is a conclusion, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? That's going through his mind. You know, I wonder sometimes if the preacher, he was going through this all on his own. Was he sharing it with anybody? Was he wondering if other people were going through the same issues in life? Seeking the same fulfillment in life? I wonder. What his his quest consisted of in verse 3 is fascinating. He uses a phrase, he said, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. And this is the idea in the Hebrew of a of an individual riding a horse. Anybody horse riders? Shows you what little bit I know. That's probably not the correct phrase, but anybody like to ride horses? He said, I, I thought to myself, I will get on this horse, this pleasure, and I'll just let it go. Well, I don't know a lot about horses, but I do know that they have a steering wheel, right? And and you have to guide them or else you could end up in the ditch. Now, a horse is not going to hurt himself, obviously, but you do have to steer the horse. Am I right? Any, anybody? Help me out here. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Right? They got, they got a way to, to guide that horse. So I said, I'll just get on the horse and let him go. See where he goes. See what happens. And just have a good time. And he uses the word wine as the horse. And he just said the pleasures of life, which is what he's referring to, was let her rip. And he did. And he comes to the same conclusion that he came to when he talked about wisdom and knowledge. It's all empty. It's all vain. That's what he said. Mental exploration exploration combined with a soul and a heart search. I mean, this is something that the preacher is serious about. It's not just a passing thought. One-time experience where, you know, the expert, you do something one time and you become the expert on it. That's not him. He's done this. He's lived this for years. And he's here to tell us this morning that if you're looking at pleasure to fulfill you, it can be okay. But it's not the end all. I like that. And after experiencing personal pleasure, now the preacher considers a different area in verse 4. He talks about all of his wealth. He said, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. And I read that and I say, so? I don't, I'm not a vineyard owner. Anybody else a vineyard owner? I'm going to guess we don't have many. No vineyard owners? No. But to the Old Testament believers, the Old Testament people, vineyards and houses and land, and land to us still means something in society. This was everything to them. This was their life. And so he said, I'll, I'll expand that. And he did. 
I'll make it greater. And He did. I'll have more of it. And He did. And He says in verse 4 and 5, I make gardens and parks for Myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for Myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I mean, He had it all. Parks, forests, houses, land, vineyards. And the massing of great wealth provided Him the treasure of kings and princes. And you can read that in 1 Kings 9, 10, 11, and 12, what other people thought of Him. Other kings thought of Him. He was an amazing individual. He said this wealth not only brought prosperity, it brought notoriety. I mean, people thought something of me. And I like what he says in verse 8. He says, also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of things. That's what we want, right? All the vineyards and, 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 and parks and stuff. We'll, we'll skip down. We want silver and gold. I'll take that. And the treasure of kings and provinces I've provided for myself, male and female singers, and the pleasures of men, singers, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And it meant nothing. He's tested knowledge. He's experienced personal pleasure. From there he moves on to wealth. And then he concludes with self-gratification. I think this is fascinating because this is the easiest of all of them to obtain. Because self-gratification can be physical and it can be mental. And you can, you can be self... I'm not really good with English here, so if there's any English majors, forgive me. You can be self-gratified if there's such a word. Probably not. In your mind, and no one can know it. If we knew what each of us were thinking right now, this would be a troubled room. Well, not because it's bad, but because you're wondering what you're going to cook for lunch, right? Where you're going to go for lunch? What are you going to do after church is over? I know that because I do it from time to time. We're all in the same boat, sitting in the same seats. Here we are, living the same life, aren't we? Same as the preacher. Self-gratification. Give that a shot. Let's see how that turns out. I've tried everything else. Now self-gratification. So, he says in verse 10, I, I withheld nothing from myself. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was, was pleased because of all my labor. And this is my reward for all my labor. He says, look, I've been faithful. I've worked hard. I've done what I'm supposed to do in life. And now I'm going to enjoy a few things for myself. Not one of us would say that we haven't thought that before or done it. But we fight it, do we not? And we say, well, that's not good. You know, you're supposed to, what's that old saying? You're supposed to save up for your children. You know, you're supposed to prepare for your children. So we live our entire lives 
to give away all that we've obtained. And I'm with the other guy. I'm going to spend all I have before I die. And it's not much, but I'm going to spend it. Probably not. I'll probably be like you. We'll leave it all to our children. That's our mentality, isn't it? I mean, just generally, not specifically, but generally. That's how we think in society. And he says in verse 10, nothing was withheld from me. I experienced it all. I rewarded myself. And what the preacher learned from self-gratification that it cannot satisfy the deepest need. In verses 4 through 10 of this chapter, chapter 2, the word I is used 14 times and myself is used three times. 17 times in those few verses, seven verses, Those words are used. I mean, that, this is a guy that's experienced it all. And he comes to a conclusion or an assessment. We, we'll call this an assessment on his investment, okay? Because that's what you're doing, and that's what I'm doing in life. We're investing in this life for the future life, are we not? Hopefully. That's the challenge sometimes to do that, but that's what we're doing. So he's going to come to an assessment on his, on his investment. Here it is. This, is. this is it. Verse 11. Then I considered all my activities. And by the way, this is not just a passing thought when he says I considered. I mean, I led before the mind. That's the idea there. In other words, it's not, not a passing thought, but it's something I seriously thought about and lived. And so he said, I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Now, he's already used those two phrases, has he not? Earlier? How many times has he used the word vanity? Several. Striving after wind, this is at least the third time he's used that phrase. It says no matter how hard you, you try, it's all in vain. No matter what you do, it's all in vain. No matter how hard you try, it's like trying to grab the wind. You can't do it. No matter how many possessions you have. It's like trying to grasp the wind. You can't. But he adds something else here. He adds a, an accounting term. Now why he did this, I don't know if, if the preacher was an accountant. I don't know if he leaned that way or not. But I love this. I love this. At the end of verse 11 he says, And there was no prophet under the sun. And we alluded to this earlier. When he, put, when he put the ledger out there for himself to see, I mean, he's really honest with himself. Pluses over here and the negatives over here or the zeros over here, like our checkbooks are sometimes. Zero. 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 Nothing. I mean, that, that's a conclusion that he comes through in all of and he's lumping everything together now. The preacher cautioned against looking in the wrong places to find the true meaning in life. That's for sure. And so it's interesting. And we'll close with these verses. We'll just read some of them, okay? And, and we'll close. 
He says in verse 12, So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. He's already covered that already. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And you thought I made that up. That's what he said. I mean, after I'm done exerting my effort and trying to find what I thought would fulfill me, I'm going to pass on and die and they're going to put me in the ground. Next next guy up is going to come and he's going to do the same thing. And the merry-go-round continues until the Lord comes. If that's what I'm looking for to fulfill me in life, that's how life is going to be. Because that's the way it is. And he goes on to say in verse 13, I, I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. And I saw that we, and, and the wise, verse 14, man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I know that, that one fate befalls, befalls them both. And we don't need to read any further. You can read it yourself. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't change his theme as a result of what he's experienced. Would it be knowledge that would fulfill him? Would it be pleasure, wealth, self-gratification? Next week in chapter 12, he's going to share in a very few verses, and it's fascinating that he takes 11 plus chapters, almost 12 full chapters, to tell us what is not going to fulfill us. And he takes a very short time to give us the, well, we'll say the, the true road to fulfillment in life or the true meaning in life. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for an honest preacher in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. We thank you that not everything in the Christian life is positive. We can't tie everything up with a pretty little bow and a nice package and spin it one way or another. We can and we do, but we know that that really is not how you intend it to be. We know that without Jesus dying, a cruel death on the cross and shedding His blood for us, rising from the grave, none of us would even be sitting here. None of us would even care. Wouldn't be in purpose in life. Be no meaning. And we know that. And I would say we believe that. But we still must live our lives daily. Live our lives. Knowing the outcome to all this and, and knowing what has transpired as a result of your plan in our lives. And yet live in this world and live this life. Help us not to be spinners of anything but to be realists and realize that even though we've messed it all up, You've come and cleaned it all up. And then we have a hope for the future. We'll get through this world and we'll enter a 
another world where we will not only reign with you, but have the joy and the pleasure and the gratification and the knowledge and everything that we need that you so intended. We pray all this in your Son's name for whom we are grateful this day. And this is why we sing. Because of your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.